0: Welcome to another edition of Close to the Vest. My name is Arthur Ettinger, and we are talking about everything and anything relationship and divorce related. I am really, really grateful to have a rock star celebrity in my studio today, handsome homebuyer, Charles Weinrail. Thanks so much for being here, man. You're
1: supposed to underpromise and overdeliver.
0: Okay, well, I've already fucked it up right. since we started. Now we got to just
1: take it to another level. It's all good. This is going to be a rockstar podcast. Let's do this.
0: <laughs> Thanks so much for being here, It's man.
1: great to see you, man. You look great. Congratulations on the new show. I'm very proud of you. Coming outside your comfort zone, launching the business. Hair looks fantastic. I love it all. <laughs> I got to say,
0: you're the reason I'm doing this. I love you it. Know, you, I can't get enough of you. I, as, as weird as that may sound <laughs> to everybody. <laughs> but like you're everywhere. Everybody knows who you are. If they don't, they need to know who you are. And, um, you know, thanks to you and Christina, uh, here we are.
1: Yeah, man. It's a great thing. And, uh, it's, it's going to take everything in your business and your life to, to another level. It's, it's really a great thing. I've seen it evolve so much over the last you know, year and a half that I've been doing this. And the more gas you pour on it, the more you get out of it,
0: but it's a lot of work. People don't realize it's a lot of work. Yeah. I think you're you realize it's a lot of work. It is a lot. I'm like this is really weird. Tuesdays is very stressful. Just getting here, I like have to shut off the you know the phone. And there are clients like people don't care. They don't want like it doesn't their life doesn't stop just because I have to go to a meeting even if it wasn't a podcast. What do you mean you can't talk to me? You know Man. so. Uh, but, it,
1: but it's good. You need to be able to do that. Like recently, I've been taking these long bike rides. Like usually I'm like putting out fires all day and it's just pandemonium. And I love that because I only feel comfortable in extreme chaos usually. Right. But it doesn't enable you like, so you're a divorce attorney and great at it, but you're also a business person. right? right? And you need time to like dream and think about your business that so you could better help your clients and grow your business. So I've been taking these long, like 30 mile bike rides where I just tune everybody out and I put like a podcast on. And at the end of that, I come back and I email myself three things that I want to implement in my business and I go and implement it. So, so know, after everybody- filming
0: all these podcasts, you're now going to listen to a podcast in your downtime. Yes,
1: Amazing. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Of somebody that, you know, just all kinds of random stuff, but you need, sometimes you just need a little Kickstarter and just to get ideas because creating content at scale is a, a lot of work and then b just the thought process of coming up with cool and different shit that people actually want to sure. listen to. Cause it's one thing to put out a ton of content that people want, that's engaging. It's another thing to put out a lot of content that, that, that sucks.
0: So who does, everyone who wants to know this question, uh, who does the King of the Long Island podcast okay. listen to when he's listening to podcasts?
1: It really ranges. And I go through phases. Right now, believe it or not, I'm listening to a lot of Gary Vee stuff. I never, I was never on the Gary Vee bandwagon. People were always like, Gary Vee, da, da, da. And I kind of almost rejected him only because people were so obsessed with him. I totally
0: get that, yeah.
1: And then I like started listening to a couple of his like older keynotes. And he's a, he's a brilliant guy. And even if he says something, just sparks something in my business that's totally different, but he will help me kind of um, just think of different creative things to do. So he's the reason. But before that, it's like just... (laughs) very successful people in general. I like to understand what they do, what they think, what's going on in the world, how they got started. And just inevitably it, it sparks this creativity and I come up with ideas to do things. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: So I want to go back further. I definitely want to hit, come back to the social media stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really, I want to go back cause I know, you know, you aren't, weren't always doing what you're doing now. No. And I know it was a long road for you and I know you used to work for your dad. Going, and we're going deep here. We I are. I could tell go, just the look up. on his face and the tongue, Rolling it up. we're going deep. <laughs> uh, it, it Thank really, God there's a therapist <laughs> in the room. It strikes, it strikes, an, um, it really hits home for me because I worked with my dad. My dad was a matrimonial lawyer as much okay. as, as fun as that sounds. Um, and I didn't want to do that. And that's a whole other podcast and a whole <laughs> other therapy session for me, or maybe a 10 pack. Um, but I just want to, you can just maybe explain for those people that don't know this, mm-hmm. you know, I know you had like a, a Mako mm-hmm. um, and what it was like to work with your dad. And the best part, I'm ruining the fucking punchline, excuse me, but I know your dad works for you. And yes. like, to me, that's like it, Like I don't have my dad anymore. So I'm just going to let you kind of take it away and tell me, you know, talk a little bit about that if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, when I was 23 years old, I, um, I opened the body frash- shop franchise called Mako. Like, uh-oh, better get Mako on TV. For those of you who don't know, it's a, it's a franchise that paints cars. They have them across the country.
0: Can you sing the jingle?
1: Uh-oh, better get Mako. <laughs> so uh, my dad owned one in Brooklyn for 20 years, and I did not want to grow up, period. He's like, but he found a Mako that had closed down in this building, and it was totally set up for Mako. It's like they were running a Mako, and they just walked out and just left it there. Really? So very like minimal investment to get in. He was already hooked up with all the suppliers. So he loaned me $50,000 to open this Mako. And I didn't really want to, because I really didn't want to grow up. Right. Like Christina will attest to that. She knew me forever. She's known me forever. I didn't want to grow up. But fear of regret being the biggest motivator in life. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it. So I did it and I did it for 10 years and it was a great thing. And, you know, he was never there. He just kind of threw me to the wolves and said, you know, you got to learn. And I worked with his partner a little bit and he taught me you know, like the, the science of sales, which was great. It was an awesome learning experience, but I didn't love it. I didn't really love it. And, um, there was friction because my dad, like, I
0: think people friction between you and that partner or your dad,
1: my dad, not like friction, friction, but I think there's something that people really have to understand, especially when they grow up in like a family s type of business or their parents are helping them out. Your parents' reality is not your reality. Mm-hmm. so. And your parents are your hero, but at a certain point you have to realize that your parents don't know everything and they did the best they could to raise you. But so true. Their life isn't your life and their reality isn't your reality. So we ended up getting into like a business, a bad business situation that I wasn't aware of right around at right after the crash. And at that moment I realized I'm like, oh, my dad doesn't know everything. He did the best he could. And the reason why I'll backpedal a little bit on that. I used to come to him and pitch him all these business ideas. And he was always like, for as much as he gave me, he's also a little bit of a negative person. So he would say to me, like, oh, it's not a good idea. It's not a good idea. And I always thought he knew everything. Right. Until we had this issue. And then I'm like, when he came to me and he's like, oh, we have this issue. I'm like, oh, my dad doesn't know everything. Maybe I know certain things that he doesn't know. And that was probably the biggest gift he ever gave me. Because had he not, and I know a lot of people that are my age so and older that still operate with their parents in a family type business where they can't get underneath that from their father's like thumb or out of their parents' shadow, whatever it is, they're always very overbearing. So in that moment, I realized I'm like, I'm not going to be able to design this business the way I want to. I need to go. So at that point, I read rich dad, poor dad. And I'm like, I'm going to be a professional investor. And I started preparing. I studied for almost four years training under a different, uh, under a mentor. And then I did two deals while I had the Mako and I immediately put the up for, Mako up for sale and I told my father, that's it.
0: And like you just read a book and said, I'm going to be a real estate investor?
1: I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I said, I'm going to be a professional investor. That's it. And then uh, I went to NYU and took a one day class on foreclosures because everybody, when they get into real estate investing, thinks that banks are just giving houses away. Boom. They're just mm-hmm. giving them away. But that's very much not the case. But when I was there, the professor told everybody, you should join the local RIAs. So RIA stands for Real Estate Investment Association. And I joined the one in uh, Levittowns called East Coast RIA, where I met my mentor, Carl Chavone, who's like a second father to me. And I trained with him for three to four years until I was ready to do my first deal while operating the MAKO, basically doing two full-time jobs.
0: How did your dad take that? Um,
1: I don't think he... Here's the thing. So I grew up with in Wanta with Christina, and Wanta is an upper middle class place, amazing place to grow up, right? Right. But for all that, you don't really see a lot of people doing truly great things, in my opinion. Not even at Mulcahy's? Not even at Mulcahy's on a Monday night with your out of the weeds card. <laughs> well, I mean, there are some crazy things, but not truly great. Um, so the concept, even to my parents who, and listen, let me, let me backpedal. My mother. My parents were amazing. They gave me the best life. And my mother, especially as a saint, like she would, I would tell a story. She would push me around in the cart when I was uh, six months old in King Cullen. And I'd be like drooling on myself, hanging out because I have so much energy. I'm like, I'm not saying this <laughs> damn cart. And she's like, Charles, because that's how she talks because she's yeah. five foot 10 and Sicilian and Jewish.
0: Love she's that. It's like,
1: you're a prince and you can have anything you want in this life if you work hard for it. Like she's been beating self-esteem into me since I was born. But even for all that, the concept of you're going to go and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars that's not yours on a house that looks like hell, that you're going to renovate and in six weeks, it's going to be worth 50%, 100% more, and you're going to sell it for money is like very outside of most people's realities. Mm -hmm. And they also came from a generation of like, yo, this works, this is safe, you have a business, you can make money because for all intents and purposes, I was in a viable business that I could have been in forever. And that's what everyone said to me. Everyone's like, you're nuts, kid. Don't do that. Just stay at what you're doing. Uh, but I wasn't happy. And it, it, it wasn't big enough for me. And even what I'm doing right now is not big enough for me. It's just merely a stepping stone to get where I need to go.
0: And where, what does that look like to
1: you? Private equity, baby. Nice. The, you and me and Christina, and Christina times two, are getting on the private jet. But it's not about that. It's about like playing the game at the highest level. Sure.
0: It's never well then it never becomes enough, but I, I I get what you're saying, but you have you've done so much in a relatively short period of time. Is there one thing I get it you have this mentor is there one thing or in particular or you're like, no, it's just all the spokes in the wheel of and your and your motivation. there are certain people who are just like, you know, uh, we talked on another podcast about being proactive versus reactive. I think that has to do with who you are as a person, channeling your energy and and making it lucrative and beneficial for you. Is there something that you can kind of pinpoint? I know this social media thing has blown you up. Is Is it that? Is it everything kind of happening? Can you pinpoint it to something?
1: I mean, everything goes in phases, but it basically comes down to this simple point of just like sickening, ridiculously unmatched work ethic, period. Love it. That's it. I mean, it's that simple. It's like Will Smith. I always quote the Will, this uh, Will Smith video that I used to watch all the time where Will's like, they're saying to Will, Will, you're like a triple threat. You're movies. You ever heard this one or no? I don't know. All
0: right, good. If I didn't, I just want to hear you sing it. It's cool. All
1: right, cool. I, uh, they're like, you're in movies, you're a rapper, you're this, you're that, you're on TV. What is so special about you? And he's like, listen, there's nothing uniquely different or special about me, except I'm not afraid to die on a treadmill. And he's like, they're like, what the hell are you talking about, a treadmill? It's like, it's simple. If you and I get on a treadmill together, either you're going to get off first or I'm going to die. It's really that simple.
0: That's awesome.
1: And that's what it takes. That's, that's what it
0: takes. Um, I saw something recent. I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before some pitbull. And it's not like I'm a pitbull fan, but I heard pitbull, the
1: rapper, pitbull? the oh, rapper. Oh, and list. he was,
0: t- someone was like, Oh, you're so lucky. He goes, it's so funny. The harder I work, the luckier I get. Yeah, true. You know, real talk. So that's kind of resonated. Um, so at some point you decide I'm going to, I'm going to blow it out on social media. Okay. What, like, did did a light bulb go off and say, you know what? I want to do this, you know, um, what, what is the reason why you did all this? So I, I try
1: to be on the cutting edge of things that are coming out as much as possible. It's, it's hard to, you know, be up to date on all the new stuff that's coming out. I'm not super, super tech savvy, but, um, I like to be outside my comfort zone. I like to do stuff that's fun. So when the, before podcasts were really big, like four years ago, uh, a lady named Valerie Lamp invited me on her podcast and I was on there. I was like, oh, this is awesome. I got to do this. So I started doing it in that roach infested basement that I always talk about. No video, just audio. And um, I just had a really good time with it. Everything that I do is just, do I enjoy it? And then you see that there, there are good things that happen to you. Like, I like doing nice things for people because I like to be nice and I like to help people. But you can't deny that when you do really nice things for people with asking, wanting nothing in return, great things happen to you. It's just a byproduct of that. So it just escalates. And for me, since I have such an addictive personality and I always need to, like, be pouring gas on whatever I'm doing, it just, you know, moved from there. So I was doing that. Then I started working with a gentleman named Matt R. Visual. Who started, I'm um, like, let me think about this personal brand thing. Cause it's it's hard to quantify a personal brand. Even when I have these conversations with people and I'm like, you should podcast, you should do this, you should do that. They're like, Well, what's the ROI? How many deals have you gotten right. directly? And it's like, dude, dude, you just, you just don't, you don't get it. It that's not really what it's about. Building a brand is very different than, you know, a pay-per-click conversion or putting an ad in the paper where people call you off a certain number, whatever it is. Um, so I wanted to test it out. So, like anything, I don't just go, you know, bowls to the wall with it. I I test it out. So Matt would come in, I paid him for the year, you know, similar type of situation to what you're doing now. He worked with me for a half a day a week, and um, we put out a bunch of content every week. And I saw the traction and I'm like, oh, this works. I just need to pour gasoline on this now. So about uh, two months ago, I hired Levy, who's my full time uh cameraman. And in the last two months, it is have just blown up next level. And even now I'm like, oh, this isn't enough. After a week, Levy was there for a week and I'm like, oh, this isn't enough. I need like another two people.
0: It's outrageous because you're so busy. I know you're so busy doing what you actually do, which mm. is flipping homes. And so what do you say to the person out there in space, in the audience that, oh, I don't have the time. I mean, it's bullshit. It's a, it's a lie. It's, it's,
1: when you really look at your day and look at all the things that you do, There's tons of wasted, there's tons of wasting time. Even myself, like I try to be very efficient. I waste time on things. Like there's definitely times I'm I'm scrolling through TikTok where I shouldn't be scrolling through TikTok. My brain is like numb from all the stuff that I'm doing and I just need to like not think for a minute. But it's all about like, how bad do you want it? Everybody has time. The cool thing about 2020 is this. It's never been less expensive to grow your brand and get to people, but it takes a lot of work.
0: And what, and what do you tell that person who says, oh, you know, this person, I I don't just, no one's going to listen to this shit. And why am I even doing this? You know, there's going to be a ton of people who are going to reject this. What's your thought about all of that?
1: Well, A, I mean, one of my biggest, my best attributes is that um, I always say society has no hold on me. So what I mean by that is like, I really don't give a shit when anybody thinks about me, period. And listen, I wasn't born like that. You know, I was, I was a leader my entire life, but, you know, obviously everybody has insecurities as they're growing up, things happen, whatever. But for at least like the last like 15 years, I don't, I don't care. And because of that, that gives me a lot of opportunity because I'm, I'm not afraid to take risks due to society and what people are going to think.
0: So this is a podcast about divorce. So we got to, (laughs) got to, deeper going deep (laughs) and (laughs) so I know you have a backstory on that there's you know we're married before sort of exactly which is even (laughs) better so um tell the when you say the sort of Mm -hmm. do do you mind explaining that this is uh this is this is open book
1: podcast um so I was dating a girl for five years I was madly in love with her wanted to get married so we got engaged we had this crazy New York City wedding. Where'd
0: was you it? get married?
1: Um, the Angel Oranzance, which is the oldest. Te- Interesting. So she was Puerto Rican. I'm obviously Jewish. It's the oldest temple in New York.
0: Juan S- Epstein. Was, was it? Your child would have been Juan Epstein. It was Juan Epstein. Really? I'm Welcome sorry. back, Connor. I'm sorry. Dude,
1: now you're dating you yourself.
0: <laughs> I am. So it's the oldest
1: temple in New York State that was purchased by a, cute, um, a man from Spain who's an artist, and he used it to showcase his art, but he would rent it out for events. Wow! So it was a very cool venue, picture-perfect wedding, awesome, and then, so we didn't bring, we didn't bring the marriage license to the event. We didn't make it part of the actual ceremony. Mm-hmm. My buddy Mark, who's actually my CFO today, got ordained as a minister to do the service, and um, it was very cool, and we went on our honeymoon. We came back from the honeymoon, she went out with her girlfriends and then she came back at like seven in the morning. I couldn't find her. I'm like, where are you? And she says, she starts crying and she's like, I think, I don't think I want to be married and I think we should break up.
0: How long? We, wait, so you
1: were, we went on the honeymoon. Like this is a week after that crazy six figure wedding.
0: So this is like a long came Polly, like scuba and uh, that's it. Have you seen Along long came Polly. Uh, anyway, sorry. all right. Anyway. It's basically like a two minute marriage and that's it. It wasn't even
1: because we never signed the marriage license. That's the best part. I, that's the luckiest part. No kidding. And listen, she's, she's-
0: she's I've litigated that issue and because that's awesome.
1: Crazy. So, and listen, she's, she's a very nice person. I have no hard feelings for her. People like have their shit that they've grown up with or whatever it is that impacts how they act or things that they do or whatever. But uh, yeah, she could have been a real asshole and she wasn't. That could have been. That could have gone really bad.
0: Why? Why would? She, why would she be the asshole? She decided she didn't want to be fucking married. What couldn't you have been the asshole? Um. Yeah, but what would that? What, what would that have done? I, I'm not saying you should have been, but no. it, like you're giving her an awful lot of credit. It's like you just had a a blowout wedding, and then she came back. She's like, she was really a great person because, uh, you know, she came back and said, uh, "I know, don't want to be together anymore."
1: Because it could always be worse, right? Like, listen, if she was like a real gold digging, nasty person, she could have stayed with me, had kids with me. That's fair. And then been like later, or she could have at least signed it, stayed with me and then tried to do something, whatever. Like we had, we, like, we were not going to sign a prenup. I was not going to sign a pre with her. I was madly in love with her. I was very like naive to all that. I was like, oh, I'm getting married. This is going to be forever.
0: We'll get to the prenup conversation in a second. (laughs) (laughs) So, so now, so now fast forward, do you think that, experience and that, you know, that breakup and that relationship, mm-hmm. you know, has impacted how you are both put aside, let's put aside personally. And okay. I know you're with a, an awesome woman who's also named Christina. Um, and, but just work-wise, like what the, you know, who you are right now professionally, uh, has that divorce, um, I know everybody can say, Oh yeah. Who, you know, every, um,
1: yeah, well, so, I mean, it, listen, it impacted me in every possible way. It is, it is an insane scar that will never, never leave, right? As much as you want it to, I think everybody would be lying to themselves if they said that that something like that didn't change them forever. So how did it change my, my business life? I mean, we could talk about either, but let's talk about business for the moment, because that's what you inquired about. Uh, I was, I had so much pain, right? It was so painful because I was blindsided. I was standing on the altar without a shadow of a doubt in my mind. There wasn't a shadow of a doubt in my mind that this was the person I was meant to be with and I was going to be with her forever. And one week later, when that hit me like a freaking ton of bricks, it was like, what the hell did I miss? And you go and you talk to your family. You know how you're in a relationship and you talk to your friends after it's over and you're like, did I miss anything? You're like, "Eh, you know, Arthur, I really hated her and I never told you. Everybody that I knew, family, every friends were just like, never saw this coming. So it was like I was, I was a wreck. But I had so much pain that uh, I just channeled it into my work, which, you know, obviously helped because the you know the more passion, the more time you're devoting to something, the better you're gonna get at it. Another thing happened that was pretty interesting, is that um, I'm a talker. No, shocking, right? <laughs> I'm a talker, so I'm not the kind of person that internalizes uh, pain or emotion and just doesn't talk about it. I have to talk about it to everybody. So when I see you, I'm just like just like (laughs) emotional diarrhea. So the interesting thing that happened was that I was sharing that story with everybody. And that story actually enabled me to form, I'm, I'm very good at not doing it on purpose, but it's just who I am. I'm very good at forming rapport and long lasting relationships with people at a very, very, very rapid pace, like in a matter of like minutes. So, when you allow yourself to be that vulnerable to people and you talk about your shit, I mean, you talk it's so true. You hear about people's yeah. shit every day. Like, totally. You're like, oh, my shit's so bad. Then you tell them and you're like, oh, and they tell you theirs and you're like, okay, you keep your shit. I'll keep my shit. But it causes kind of like this, you know, intense kind
0: of bond. Are you judging people. my shit that people want to keep their shit after they hear my shit? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just, uh, but that's just the way it is, right? I, so, um,
1: that really, that built a lot. There was a couple of people. I remember one person in particular is a very, very close friend of mine. I do a lot of business with, and I wasn't really close to them at the time. I didn't really know him. I just started doing business with him. And I was sitting in the hallway of that Roach infested office. And I told him the story and he's not a very, he's a very loving, caring man, but he's not a very vocal man. And he's not like a very outgoingly affectionate man. And he, I told him the story and he's just like, don't worry, man, we're going to get you some houses. So, At that point, so the year before was my first year in real estate. I did 11 flips, sort of got married and almost got divorced. That was the year that that happened. After that whole honeymoon thing, we didn't break up until the following year. And I found out like there was another guy in the mix and there was like a whole, it just, it got worse. Because when she said that to me, I was like, what do you mean we're fucking getting divorced? There was stuff that she wasn't telling me. And things started coming out over time until the following summer. I came home. We had an apartment in Long Beach together, and I walked in the door, and the lease was up in two days, and she said to me, uh, hey, listen, I have to break up with you, and um, I didn't renew the lease, so we have to be out of here in two days. Well, that's nice. Well, Yeah. but um, So I called up a buddy, and I packed up my stuff, and I and I left, and that was it.
0: Did she ever apologize to you? Like, uh, after the dust was settled, did she reach out and like, so, um, kind of close that loop?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I don't really... Closure is an interesting word and in philosophy. And I don't really know if it entirely exists. I mean, it does in the movies. But I knew, so it was interesting. I had that marriage license and it wasn't signed. And I had it in my hand and I carried it around in my car for years. Really? Not so many years, because we've only this has only happened like four years ago. So, but I carried this thing around in my car for like two years. People are like, ah, throw it out, get rid of it. And I'm like, I knew that I was gonna need it one day. And I knew that there was going to be, I didn't understand what happened, but I knew that I would get quote unquote closure at at one point. So about two, three years later, I, um, refinancing one of my rental properties and they call me up and like, Oh, what, like, what about your wife? And I'm like, what do you mean my wife? I don't have a wife. And like, Oh, it must be an error. So then I leased a car like two weeks later and the car leasing company is like, well, what about your wife? And I'm like, what about my wife? I don't, I don't have a wife. So what I realized to kind of go forward is when you take a marriage license out, it's like uh, license plates. Sure. It's the property of the state. So while it's null and void within 90 days, there's still an open inquiry out there until it gets returned. So I call her up. I had some conversations with some people and they're like, you have to get divorced, dude. And I'm like, what do you mean I have to get divorced? I wasn't married. Like, no, you, you have to get divorced. This is like, this. you're like in limbo of like not being maybe divorced, maybe not. Right. So I call her up. I hadn't talked to her in, in, at all. And I call her up and I'm like, hey, I, you know, I have to talk to you. Like, I think we might be married. And she was in Russia at the time for like the World Cup. And she's like, what do you mean we're married? That's like impossible. We can't be married. And I'm like, listen, like I'm not calling you two and a half years later to tell you like, this is real. She's like, I'll be back in a week. I'll call you. So like two weeks later, she calls me and I start telling the story and she's like, listen, don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. We'd gotten married in the city, so we had to get the marriage license in the boroughs. So she's like, I'm going to go down there tomorrow. I'm going to talk to them. So she talks to them. She calls me up. She's like, great news. I'm like, awesome. She's like, all we have to do is go down there, sign an affidavit, and the whole thing is done. And I'm like, this is my moment. This is it. Now I'm going to find
0: out what the hell went on here because it was just totally mind-blowing. So your plan was to find out everything that's going on in her mind while you're online signing this affidavit? Not that that. I didn't know it was going to happen, but I know that a person you were with for
1: five years who you were madly in love with doesn't leave one day with zero clarity and never find out, never hear anything. So um, I met her there. I oh, know. So I said to her, I'm like, listen, do we have to do this? First I said, we have to do this together. Like, can I just go down there? And she right. goes, no, we should go together. And that's when I was like, all right, this is like serendipitous shit, fake, whatever. So we go there and I don't know if you've ever been in there, but it's kind of like the DMV.
0: Well, a lot of the uh, court system is the DMV. but uh, yeah, This is in is Queens. A- oh,
1: okay. So this is in Queens. You go in the basement and there's like, I walk in there and she's there. And there's like 300 people down there in like wedding dresses and it's just pandemonium. Yeah. And she picks a ticket and they were like, it was like D-17 and she picks D-18. She's like, oh, we're going to be out of here really fast. And I turned to her dead ass, exactly like this. And I said, no, we're not. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you see this? I had the thing in my hand. I'm like, I've been carrying this thing around in my car for three years. Like, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what's going to go on. I don't know if I'm going to get clarity today, tomorrow, or 20 years from now. But I guarantee you, we're not getting out of here anytime soon. And we were the last people in that freaking building. Wow. Real talk. So I got to talk to her in that, you know, in those whatever hours that we sat there waiting to be called. And um, you know, I learned some things. I didn't get like, you know, she apologized, she cried, she told me she loved me. She said, you know, you don't understand. you think I don't love you, but I really do. Like, there's definitely like a lot there. Some things that I know, probably more thing, way more things that I don't know that is that is affecting her and and cause sure. that behavior. But um, so when it was our turn to go up there, the lady was there who told her to come in. She's like, Oh, you have the marriage license? She's like, Yeah. She's like, Oh, you just give this to me. That's it. And she's like, What do you mean? You told us to come in and sign an affidavit. She says, No, I didn't. I told you if you didn't have the marriage license, you needed to sign an affidavit. All we need is, is marriage license. It's an Okrain inquiry. We're just gonna shred it. Now it's closed.
0: Yeah, she wanted that long day with you.
1: No, 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 no. She 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 genuinely misunderstood. She didn't, she wasn't looking for that. Sure, she
0: did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't, I don't think so. But it was. It was, um, it was heavy, man. It was really, uh, it was a very heavy time and it never, you know, that scar never goes away.
0: That is an amazing story. I can't tell you how many clients I have and have had that would love to have an unsigned. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's. um... And now you're with somebody, an awesome woman.
1: Very different, very, very different person in, in every possible respect. Yes.
0: And uh, for the better. Yes. And there has to be like marriage talk. And there's, um, there's
1: there's always marriage talk. Yes, there is marriage talk.
0: So what are your thoughts? Of, like, you ever have you ever thought like, okay, if I do this and mm-hmm. I, you know, uh, when I got married again, mm-hmm. uh, people said to me, what are you doing? You're breaking back into jail, you know? <laughs> um, which is (laughs) in a lot of respects, (laughs) very true. Um, having said that, you know, there's a major stigma of, uh, a prenup and you are a successful guy, you know, you've been down this road. You don't want to have to go through this again. Mm -hmm. Have you, uh, have you thought about like the concept of a prenup?
1: Literally like one of the first things I said to her when we started dating was I would never, ever, ever consider getting married without a prenup, period. And she was upset by that at first. And I'm like, listen, like, you have assets. Like, she's a very successful woman. She owns her own house on the water, which I live in, right? With her in her house. And I'm like, you need this for you also. But sure. I'm, I'm like, it's very simple. I don't expect anybody to understand what I went through because I don't think you ever possibly can without being in that situation. It was so traumatic and crazy. It like shook me to the core. And I'm telling you, it will probably impact me in certain ways for the rest of my life. So I'm like, and at that point, and again, you know, kudos to my to my ex because she could have been a real nasty person and she wasn't. But I also, you know, that year when she left me, I had bought 10 houses up until that point where she left and that was July 28th. So most of the year was like, over half the year was over. I bought 30 houses from the time she left me to the end of that year. And wow. I've done, you know, I, I've done hundreds and hundreds of deals since then. I'm in a very different financial place now sure. than I was then. I would never consider, you know, jeopardizing that because you just don't know.
0: Here's the thing there's the stigma, the taboo. It's not, this is not 20 years ago. Their families look like so many different things, you know. Um, and just the mere fact of limiting the, the issues, God forbid, a relationship should go sideways, mm-hmm. you know, cutting out the costs of like someone like myself or an expert, the, the, the related costs, you guys can just chart your own course as opposed to, you know, having a lot of people in the pocket, uh, who are going to butcher your life. And that just, just like we can say that about you, the same thing for her. She can be protected without the bloodshed. That's really without the concept. And so many people come in and they look at this emotionally, even people who have, you know, when, when they're the one asking for the prenup and then certain things start to get raised, they get emotional. And you got to remember, this is really a financial deal. No matter, I, I'm i not looking to get rid of the, the romance in a relationship, but if you can deal with the issues constructively and fairly um, and early on and be candid with one another, there should be no reason why a prenup will put a rift in a relationship.
1: Without a doubt. And I think that only comes from like really kind of deep understanding of, you know, relationships and situations. Because listen, a lot of people get into You know, my my relationship IQ now at 41 years old is better. It's not exceptional, but it's better than it was. There's a lot of people that get into relationships that shouldn't be in relationships that are doomed, that they have no clue. And It's, you know, it's not that they want to be divorced, but, you know, money does strange things to people. And when people are hurt, they do crazy shit that you never thought that they would ever do. So I don't think there's anything wrong with protecting yourself. And, you know, my girlfriend at the time didn't, think it was right. But I think now she, she understands. Um, I think a lot of people will think, Oh, you want to prenup, which means you're not in this with me for the long haul. And well, that's not the case at all. Yep. But when you've been through what I've been through that state of innocence of this could never happen is gone.
0: Yep. I get it. Handsome home buyer. Where'd that come from? Uh,
1: so a buddy of mine who's uh, significantly more handsome than myself, taller, very jacked, uh, calls himself the world's most handsome man. He actually has shirts that say world's most handsome man on them. That's bold. Uh, yes. He's a very modest fellow, great guy, very successful. Uh, and he would always call me handsome. So when I started thinking, like, I have to brand myself, what are people going to remember? I'm like, oh, I'm going to call myself the handsome homebuyer. And my ex at the time was like, what ki- you can't call yourself that. What kind of a vain a-hole calls himself the handsome homebuyer? I'm like, listen, I'm like a six, so it's okay if I was really good looking like my buddy, people would be like, oh, that guy's a dick. Like, you can't call yourself the handsome mom buyer if you're really that good looking. But they're going to remember it. And sure is that, People do not know my real name today. They just know me as handsome. Like if That is so funny. Somebody in the real estate world says, oh, you know Charles I'm Like, who is that? Like, oh, you know, handsome mom? oh, yeah, handsome. People put me in their phone as handsome. That's it. I love it. It works. Even so... Um, I went to NYU. and got my master's in real estate development as I'm entering into the development world. And my professors were like, Hey, listen, like you're getting into the real deal here. You're doing like really big projects. Now you got to nix the handsome homebuyer thing. I'm like, hell no. Like handsome homebuyer is who I
0: am. What was their reason? Like people aren't going to take you seriously or something? Yes.
1: That's their thing. The thing is like, you know, you're, you know, working on giant deals. You, you can't be the handsome homebuyer. Like people can have a stigma about that. I'm like, they can have a stigma of all they want at the end of the day. Like I am who I am, I get stuff done, we put these deals together, they move, they work, people make money. They're not going to care if I call myself handsome home buyer.
0: Honestly, that's what this whole podcast is all about, right there, because you didn't give a shit what anybody else said, you did what you wanted to do, always, and the fruits of the labor are there.
1: Always. I mean, listen, I listen to people that I'm close to and I filter things that they say and I'll take advice, yes, but at the end of the day, it's like, it's your decision. You have to live with the ramifications of your decisions.
0: Is there anything that you would have done differently looking back? No. I love it. The ride is awesome, man. Well, I am so grateful for you being here, man.
1: Loved it, man. Very proud of you. I want to come
0: on your podcast one of these days. Let's do it. Sit on that cool leather couch. (laughs) Thanks so much.
1: Anytime. It's always open. Thank you very much. Awesome. Keep doing your thing. This is great. Thanks, man.